This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Good afternoon, and welcome to the meaning of an Obama presidency, politics, race, class, and power. I am your moderator, Ronnie Anderson, coordinator of Minority Student Achievement in Multicultural Student Affairs. Uh, in light of the historical significance of the election of the first African-American president, it, it was only right to bring together faculty, staff, students, and members of our community to discuss the relevancy and place such an event, and place such an event in the context. I thank you again for taking time out of your work, class, and personal schedules to participate in this event. While this is a panel, there will be time to there will be time set aside for the audience to ask questions. Uh, so feel free to jot down any ideas or come up with any questions that you may have. Uh, before we get started, please be mindful of others and our panelists. If you have any electronic devices such as cell phones, Blackberries, etc., we ask you now to turn them off or to place them on silent. And with that, we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our panel. We have Ricky Cobb, instructor of sociology. We have Mary Fefflees, assistant professor of history. Delwyn Jones, assistant professor of communications. Kevin Navratil, instructor of political science. Amy Williamson, department chair of behavioral sciences. We also had uh, Darren Shrek, Associate Professor of Political Science, but unfortunately he cannot make it today. He's out sick. And with that, we're going to go ahead and get into the questions. Um, the first question I have for our panel is, what short-term impact do you feel Barack Obama's election will have on race relations in America? Anyone who wants to feel free jump in? I can start off. I have um, something that recently came up um, in some of the literature and psychology, something called the Obama Effect. I don't know if anybody's heard of it, but it's an interesting idea um, based on some earlier research that was done on something called a stereotype threat. Basically, African Americans were underperforming in certain areas, particularly on testing, standardized testing. And one of the things that they found was that the, uh, the performance gap disappeared immediately after the inauguration of the president. And they were saying, you know, is this temporary? Is this something that's going to hold up over time? Um, we're not sure yet, but it was pretty uh, startling and interesting uh, information that came about right after that. Yeah, I, I actually came across that same study, and I think that... Um, well, I guess just to piggyback up on that, um, it, the test scores from the GRE um, standardized tests were basically any sort of achievement gap or a race. And I think one of the things it can do is create more optimism, and um, or, you know perhaps um, diminish any sort of test t taking anxieties. But I think one of the things that I found most interesting uh, the uh, after election night and some of the people who some of my students who had uh, participated going down to the Obama event, um, um, the acceptance speech, and, um, and, and looking at uh, Inauguration Day, is just seeing some of the excitement amongst people and feeling proud to be Americans. 
and um, being uh, more connected to their fellow citizens, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their gender, and feeling more um, unity as a citizen race. So I think initially there's great optimism amongst the public, and um, everybody seems to see each other as one, a step in the right direction. Um, you know, I, I think that's a very, very uh, positive first step. I actually wanted, if uh, the panel doesn't mind, I was going to actually extend this to uh, the, po the positive effect it's having on race relations even in Europe. Um, and that they're already saying there's very little representation of minorities um, in upper level politics in, in Europe, particularly places like the UK and France. And they're already noting that that's having the Obama effect is having a, a, um, a major transformative effect on politics there. In the UK, they already uh, have a plan in place where they're saying that um, you know, there's uh, improving, increasing the amount of members of parliament um, uh, amongst, amongst blacks and other minorities in the UK, as well as in France, where 6% of the population are North African, uh, the majority of whom happen to be Muslim. And so they're trying to see an increasing amount of representation uh, in those parliaments as well. So it's not only having an effect on, a short-term effect on people here, but it's also having a, a, an effect worldwide as well. Well, I know there's a, a feeling of euphoria, um, and, and, and abroad too. If you look at uh, CNN and you would see the excitement of, um, of all the people around the world, I mean, there's, there's, there's a feeling of hope, you know, that things could be changed. You know, we, we're, we're not in the best times of our history, and this is, uh, if you, the United States is going to struggle, you're going to find that the rest of the world is probably having some issues as well. And with Barack Obama, he's just kind of given this, this feeling of, of that we can make a difference. And, you know, Barack Obama did not come from uh, an area of or a background of prestige and, and so forth. He came up as a, someone who was uh, a grassroots worker. I mean, he, he, he worked with small uh, with communities and so forth. And that now he is the president of the United States. He is the most powerful man in the world. And for that to happen, it's, a, it's just a sense of hope for everyone. And you see blacks, whites, everyone. Uh, when he was at, gave the, the speech, there was a variety of different cultures, a, a variety of different perspectives on life uh, that were there supporting Barack Obama. And that's the good thing. It's, 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 a, it's a temporary thing because things are going to, you know, when reality hits, we're going to have some other things that are going to pop up. But right now, it's a good feeling, and it's a positive thing that's, that's happened today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I think one of the really interesting things about what we're seeing right now in terms of the hope and optimism that Dolan is uh, talking about is Barack Obama, really, in a way, he's the personification of the American dream fully realized. That's what he represents to a lot of people. Now, we don't know how this presidency is going to go. We don't know yet if he's going to be a two-term, very successful president, a one-term president. We just don't know. But what we do know is, is that what he does represent is um, 
the fact that America can go further, that we can do more, that we can break barriers that have existed for not just decades, but for hundreds of years. And so I think for a lot of people, you know, they can look at Barack Obama, see him in the White House, what he represents, and he may represent different things to different people. But I think what people see in him is the idea that uh, the American dream is not a sham. You know, that it's not one American dream for one group of people because of their uh, race, that it's not necessarily one American dream for one group of people because of their gender, you know, but that it's a, a country where, uh, you know, our highest ideals can be realized by people of all different backgrounds. With that being said, um, one of the conversations that is had is now that you have an African American president, does this signal the end of certain policies that have been put forward to help minorities along, specifically affirmative action? So I guess my question to the panel is, and I'll start this with Kevin, does Obama's election signal the end of the need for affirmative action, and how much does race, re and does race really no longer matter in America? Does, I guess what I'm saying is, does Obama's election more level the playing field? Well. I ended my last comment by saying I think it's a, a positive first step, or not necessarily the first step, but, but clearly a mark in the, in the right direction. But I don't think that a playing field has been leveled. I don't think that um, the mere presence of Obama in the presidency is going to, in and of itself, uh, end the need for, for programs designed to ensure that there's a level playing field for all people. Now, that doesn't mean that affirmative action as we currently know it um, can't be redesigned. I know that uh, Obama often spoke uh, of this during the campaign that um, we should take socioeconomic status of, of parents into consideration so that uh, more prominent, more uh, affluent um, African-American children or, or children from more affluent African-American parents um, don't benefit. So the example that he would often point to is so his own daughters um, wouldn't give a, wouldn't receive preferential treatment in admissions or uh, job uh, interviews and, and so on. That maybe we should look, uh, we should tweak affirmative action to ensure that um, we're reaching uh, the neediest uh, people from disadvantaged backgrounds, uh, things they can't control. Um, things that um, a child is born into, they can't select their family, their neighborhood, um, the early schools that they attend. And so I think some of the things that um, can be done to, to, to help level the playing field perhaps would be to increase education spending. I know just in Illinois alone, some of our, uh, some of our schools, our public schools, receive about a third of the resources as uh, some of the more well-to-do um, districts uh, throughout Illinois. So I think those would be some of the steps uh, that I would advocate for in, in, in changing into in a new direction. I actually don't have much to add to that because I agree um, with Kevin. I think that the image Definitely that, that race still matters, to answer your, your last point. It's still, there's no question that it does. Um, but the image of an African-American president is transformative in and of itself. Um, and I, I do think that, that um, social-based, socioeconomic uh, status should perhaps also have a greater impact and, and might in the future, if that is also indeed what the president is advocating as well. So I, don't, that's, I think he said it all quite well. I actually think the danger 
of seeing uh, Barack Obama as the the end all is 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 amazing. I mean, we we have to be careful. I mean, there's still a very very large gap uh, as far as employment unemployment rates. There's still a large gap as far as uh, income is concerned. Uh, based on the same education and so forth, there's still a large income. And the, until the, the playing field is level, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to say that there should not be programs to help level that field. Um, we hope that Barack Obama, and I like the word transformative, that is going in the, uh, the idea that he became president is going in the right direction of trying to uh, give us hope and so forth. But in, in reality, uh, where are we, you know, as far as race, race relations are concerned? Uh, is it fair? Are things equal? Um, and some people say, well, it doesn't have to, to be equal. Every, uh, life is not fair. Everything is not going to be equal, and that's just the way things go. But it doesn't mean that you don't keep fighting for that and that you try to make things fair. You want a two-year-old, uh, whether he's black, white, whatever, to have a chance, to have a fair opportunity to be able to make it. And I've, I've brought this up before in past presentations about uh, going to high schools as a recruiter when I was at St. Xavier University. And uh, I would go to uh, some of the things that Kevin was talking about. I mean, I, I would see firsthand. I would go to some of the schools, some of the public schools that was predominantly black. And those same kids who wanted to really be successful in life didn't have computers. There was one computer in the principal's office. Okay. And then I go to another school that was predominantly white and they had computers in all the classrooms. It's just, first of all, not having access to technology was a disadvantage. Secondly, when you go into a school and you don't have the infrastructure that's, that's um, set up for you to feel good about the learning process, that's, that's a disadvantage in itself. And so those are some things that we have to look at. You know. I remember in the 80s when people were talking about how Michael Jordan had so much money and Oprah Winfrey was rich, you know, and, and the question was, has black America made it? And that's a small percentage. There are a lot of people that uh, are catching the opposite of heaven in their own communities. They can't find jobs. Um, they have situations where the parents are in trouble, so they, they're going to be at a disadvantage. Until we can get this playing field level, uh, we still need programs to help even this thing out. Thanks. I would agree with everything that my colleagues have set up here um, and, and also add that um, I think one thing that, that the Obama presidency has also opened up a little bit is for us to look at multiracial families and the multiracial experience in this country, which there's uh, a growing number of people that fall into that category, and I think... Um, some of the research I've done uh, is based on biracial males, and one of the things that punctuated their lives was uh, racist kinds of experiences, and these were young men. So I think that we do not have a society that's beyond race or, or post-racial at this point. I think we still have quite a bit to do, and I think affirmative action is, is part of that that needs to be kept uh, in place. Um, I do agree with, I believe, Kevin, who talked a little bit more about socioeconomic status, that that variable should also be taken into account. But I do think that there's uh, a continued need for these discussions to happen because we, in our 
in our city, Chicago area, is very segregated. We, uh, among ethnic groups, among race, we do have um, a lot to do in our community in terms of getting people together discussing these things and working on race. And so I would hope Obama's presidency, I'm hopeful that it symbolizes um, the willingness to have a discussion, an open discussion about these topics like we're doing today. Yeah, at this point, um, you know, the, the Obama presidency symbolizes, Obama's election symbolizes what's possible. But it's going to take a lot more than just that. I mean, that, that victory in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean anything to the, to the long-term picture of race relations in this country. So institutional discrimination is still a major problem. Um, you know, you wouldn't uh, uh, measure the success of uh, Caucasians by how much money Bill Gates has or any particular white person. It would be ridiculous to think so. So it would be silly to look at the situation and say, well, Barack Obama is very succe successful. He's the president of the United States. Well, therefore, that success must immediately be uh, a ripple effect, must go out, and everyone's going to feel that instant instantly. Uh, let's also keep in mind that uh, Senator Burris is only the fourth African-American United States senator since Reconstruction. Okay, four. Four African-American senators in close to 150 years, three, uh, three of which are from the state of Illinois. All right? So, you know, we need to, you know, let's keep the, the picture clear here. You know, what Obama has done is, is absolutely historic, but we can't take our eye off the ball. Because, as Delwin notes, I mean, that's, uh, that's the most dangerous thing. In some ways, you know, this could potentially uh, even be a setback if... If we take this moment to divert our eyes away from real problems and think that, well, we've got it made because of uh, this one particular historic event. I just wanted to make a follow-up comment. I wonder sometimes that, that um, and Barack Obama acknowledged that in, in his that extraordinary address that he gave on race uh, in February of last year. Was that February of last year? Um, and I often do wonder, though, if, if the disparity that exists in education is more because of the color of one's skin or because of poverty, though. Were you to go to uh, rural areas where there's not a lot of money poured into education anywhere, would you find the same types of problems? That I, I don't necessarily have the answer, but I do wonder if, it, if I tend to take more of a class-based approach, that if you're not going to be pouring money into school no matter where it is, there's going to be a disparity um, in, in the level of learning. Switching gears a little bit, um, going into Barack Obama's presidency and how it impacts the American citizen, um, one of the things that has come across is is being unified and change and cooperation. Um, so I'd like to speak to the panel. I guess we'll start on the other end with Ricky. How much cooperation do you expect across party lines? Um, anyone who's watched the news the last two weeks has seen the struggle with trying to get a potential stimulus package past and it's pretty much been politics as usual right down the middle republicans versus democrats going forward how much true cooperation do you actually think there's going to be within this presidency well we are talking about washington dc so it's, <laughs> it's going to be limited um i think that obama as a new president coming in to a situation where obviously we've encountered a lot of economic difficulties uh, in the recent past and other difficulties as well. I mean, Bush is going out a very, unpo very unpopular figure. I think that um, what you're going to see is a, a honeymoon period. 
There's going to be a period of time where Obama is going to be given an opportunity to push some things through that he wants to get done. Certainly, with a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate, he's going to encounter less resistance than uh, he would uh, perhaps under less uh, uh, conciliatory circumstances as far as that goes. But I think that there will be a period of time where uh, Obama will uh, try to come through on some of his campaign promises, and we'll see how that goes. But I think certainly as time goes on, uh, perhaps uh, you know that that atmosphere will dissipate somewhat and then we'll get into uh, you know how, how things are really going to be for the rest of uh, his administration I'll defer um, some of this to the more political experts out here but um, I do think that it's important to have cooperation but I think it's important that we also have debate and discussion and that um, there's not just going along with with some of the, the new programs and new initiatives. So um, although I'd like to see cooperation, um, I think it's good that there's some in opposition so that there'll be some debate and some exploration of the issues. Yeah, um, actually, that's, that's in my notes. Do we really, really want total, total co cooperation? And, uh, you know, people down there in Washington doing... Uh, what they want to do, we need some balances, we need some checks and balances. And, uh, you know, there are different ideologies, and uh, I think that's a good thing. You know, um, I was not a Bush supporter, but, you know, Republicans have a philosophy and idea, um, just like the Democrats do. And the Democrats are in power at this particular time, but you still need someone to, to watch both sides. And uh, I think that uh, it's, it's probably not going to be total cooperation because they have different ideas on how best to make this country work. So I, I don't see that happening, uh, total cooperation. Maybe in these first couple of weeks, I think even next week we're going to start having some stuff going to start coming up. <laughs> yeah, I think the funny thing is that um, Barack Obama is probably going to take more flack from the left than he will from the right. Um, I think from people on the far left who are expecting just everything to this you know, notion of change, everything's going to change overnight. This is Washington. It's not going to change overnight. Um, you're already seeing you know, some things that, that, um, that Obama might want to do that just there's, there's often gridlock. And um, I think that, that he's going to be encountering probably more opposition from people in his own party than he will necessarily on, on the right. He's taking a very conciliatory, uh, uh, um, moderate approach, middle-of-the-ground approach. And I think he'll continue to do that, and I think thus probably alienating some people in his own party, um, and, and perhaps right now the Republicans want to like him right now. They want to work with him. Um, again, that probably will change, but it's interesting. I, I think that he's going to be encountering some more flack from, from the left and from the right, at least right now. Well, I would agree with what my colleagues have said so far. I... Uh, I I did anticipate a little bit more cooperation, though. Uh, as Ricky, I think, pointed out, you know, with honeymoon period, first hundred days, generally presidents have, uh, you know, the, the highest point of cooperation in their presidency. And uh, Obama had a lot of political capital. He won the election, hands down. Uh, Democrats dominated in November. Um, but as Mary pointed out, you know, and and uh, we we. <laughs> 
there's more there's more resistance from some Democrats than many people would expect. And uh, as Delwin pointed out, we have uh, different ideologies, and and many of these we have 535 members of Congress. They each have their own constituency, and roughly what 468 of these members will be up for re-election in just over about 21 months from now. So they are going to be judged. And, and right now, when we talk about cooperation, the biggest um, bill that they're going to be looking at is this economic stimulus. You know, nearly what $900 billion um, that these members of Congress are going to be judged upon. So I think uh, Obama anticipated a little bit more cooperation than he's receiving, too. Um, he said uh, in the last week or so that he's realized that uh, old, uh, old habits die hard and um, it's going to be a difficult road ahead. Um, but this, uh, this climate that he inherited is, is not necessarily, a, as we all know, a positive one and one that many presidents would be successful with. So I think it is going to be difficult to get cooperation. But, you know, Republicans, they have to um, uh, redesign their party to be competitive to win elections again. And they know that um, spending plans are not necessarily something that's going to win over their constituency. Um, and I think they're kind of reorganizing their party. They have a new um, uh, chair of their Republican uh, National uh, Committee. Uh, actually, Michael Steele, the first African-American to lead uh, their party. So now both major parties are headed by African-Americans. So anyway, I, I think we, as, as our members said, we haven't seen cooperation as we may have anticipated, but that can be expected considering uh, politics and, and that these members have uh, their own reelections to worry about. Piggybacking off the American economy, one of the things that just personally for me as a, as a citizen of the country has been okay. Obviously, repairing the state of the American economy is vital. Um, but kind of the issue I think that has kind of gone under the radar of recent months is the war in Iraq. Um, we're still years and years, we're, we're headed to the point where the war is actually going to go on longer than Vietnam. With the huge focus on repairing the state of the American economy, is it reasonable to think that President Obama will be able to begin troop withdrawal within the first two years of his term, or does that get pushed until the very end of his term, if not possibly into a second term? Um, I'll start that on this end with Ricky. Well, to answer that, I think I need one of those magic eight balls. You know, I can shake it and see what we've got. Answer is hazy. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I don't really know what to expect. I really don't. Um, you know, I was against the war before it began. I would like to see the troops home as soon as is realistically possible. But it's a very complicated situation. There's a, there's a whole lot of things at play here that are probably beyond my ability to intelligently comment upon. So I think it will be very interesting to see what happens. I think also this is one of those situations, as Mary was alluding to earlier, where you know there's going to be pressure from the left. If he doesn't start getting troops out of Iraq as soon as uh, some of the folks on the left uh, would prefer, he's, he's definitely going to catch some heat within his own party. There's, there's actually, that, that's a very tough position to be in. Um, I mean, he, he is going to catch heat no matter what he does. 
You know, if he gets them out too quick, there's going to be criticism from the right. If he holds them too long, there's going to be criticism from the left. Uh, there's really no real clean way to to break out of this thing. That's why it was such a, a big mistake to go in uh, in the first place. You know, you have to have uh, some kind of way, ex exit strategy that was never really uh, presented from the beginning. So now that uh, President Obama is in this position, it's, it's just going to be it's going to be a tough situation. Uh, the sooner the better for me, uh, as long as we don't leave things um, um, just. Uh, we don't want chaos. We don't want pandemonium. And if we can try to keep that together and get out as soon as possible, I mean, that's that's the best thing to do. But um, that's something that, uh, uh, President Obama is going to have to deal with, and that's going to be a tough deal. Um, has anyone checked out the cover of Newsweek this week? Um, the title of it is Obama's Vietnam, referring to uh, Afghanistan. Um, and definitely, I think that uh, Obama's taken the line that we've, we've taken our eye off the prize, which was Afghanistan since the war on terror began in 2001. And Iraq has been uh, more than a distraction. Um, but he's also indicated that he's going to be deferring to military commanders, um, and that would mean a, a gradual troop withdrawal. I think you can, ex you can expect to see, because as, as he's going to be approaching re-election, he's going to have to show some tangible uh, results. So I think that you will see some, some troop withdrawal, and perhaps some of those troops being diverted towards Afghanistan, which I think that he views in his worldview is the larger, uh, the, 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 the bigger problem. Um, that being said, though, you know, nation building is not easy. You can't go into a country and expect to tear it down and rebuild it in a couple of years and get out. And that tends to be the American approach to lots of things that we do. Um, when we went into Bosnia years ago, people said the same thing, get in, get out, and 10 years later we still had troops there. Uh, we still have troops in Kosovo right now from an operation that was 10 years ago, although I think those are being, those are being um, downsized as well. So um, he, this, you can't get out of a quagmire like this overnight. It is going to take time. But again, I think in, or, in order to satisfy um, especially those people on the left who want to see us withdraw from Iraq tomorrow, um, you're going to see some, some uh, um, decline in numbers. And the Iraqi government is now saying more and more that they, they do support the withdrawal of American troops gradually. So we're seeing a little bit of progress in that direction. I think, first of all, it, it depends what we mean by uh, troop withdrawals. I don't think in, in any way there's going to be no U.S. forces in um, Iraq anytime soon. But I think there will be um, significant troop withdrawals, uh, at least in the first year. I think he had said 16 months, 18 months. Um, Iraq had a, a very successful election this last weekend on, on many accounts. Um, certainly they're a work in progress. I think uh, they had something like 51% voter turnout, which I guess is a good sign of democracy considering we've had pretty low turnout in the United States too. So um, anyway, I think that there's going to be uh, a certain number of advisors, special forces, um, as Iraq uh, as the Iraqi government sees fit. I don't think that um, they want all U.S. forces to leave either. Um, there's been great progress that's been made. And I think Obama, as he had said in his campaign pledge, we need to be as cautious as we are leaving as we were um, reckless entering. So um, it's going to take some time, but I, I think as Mary pointed out, you know, come uh, re-election time, there is, he's going to have to hold uh, true to his campaign pledges, and I think the left is definitely going to want to see um, some dramatic withdrawals from Iraq by uh, 2012, for sure. Okay. 
Uh, we do have some more panel questions, but we're going to give you, the audience, a chance to ask any questions at this point, um, just to kind of break it up a little bit. Uh, so if you could raise your hand, which I do this as orderly as possible, stand, speak up, and um, you can either point to a panel member that you want to ask your question or just to the panel at large, and this gentleman here. Um, to on my right, Paul commented you thought that Obama would receive more criticism from the left than they would from the right. Do you think that that criticism is going to come from like the economically left or the socially, culturally left? I mean, mm-hmm. talking about people that are in support of high progressive taxes or people that are promoting gay marriage and, um, you know, pro-choice. Yes. Uh, the, the question was, uh, the gentleman said that Obama would receive as much criticism. There's been comment that Obama would receive a lot of criticism from the left and from the right. And his question was, would that be more toward his economic policy or more of the, his social policies? Um, so, Mary and Kevin? Um, I definitely think that, as Kevin also mentioned, that the war... Um, is going to be a bigger problem for the left, um, and I, I would I would say it's more towards the, uh, his social issues than his economic issues. Um, right away, he, there's there's uh, talk about what he's going to do with regards to gay marriage. Uh, Clinton found himself uh, embroiled in some some interesting territory when he had promised to. Um, uh, um, with the military uh, breaking down the idea of being able to be openly gay in the military and ended up with don't ask, don't tell, um, which has been a policy that's been seen as, as, as disastrous by some. But he's already been promising to roll that back. If that does not happen, you will have a lot of angry people um, on the left. So, yeah, I would definitely say that, that it, uh, it goes more towards, uh, towards social issues. Um, in terms of, of the abortion issue, I would imagine that he's going to be continuing to, to uphold Roe versus Wade, but probably take a more of a, a moderate course and maybe defer more to states on, on, on particular laws. Um, yeah, that's what... Well, that's a really good question. And um, I think some of the criticism I was thinking of was with regards to foreign policy. Some, some of the left have said, wait a minute, you're keeping on the defense, the Secretary of Defense from the Bush administration? How has this changed? Um, where's the troop patrols? Uh, and if there are troop patrols, they're simply going to Afghanistan. Um, where's the reduction of U.S. Presence foreign policy or, uh, in regards to, to conflicts worldwide. So I think much of the criticism I was originally thinking of was was foreign policy wise, but uh, the economic standpoint too. Many Democrats, uh, you know, again thinking of the the members of Congress and their constituency, their uh, constituents, their citizens are losing their houses. Their homes are being foreclosed on. People are losing their jobs. And many members of Congress want to direct funds to help their citizens. And there's just not enough money to go around, um, particularly when uh, about a third of the stimulus plan is going in the form of tax cuts that have been favored by the Republicans. Um, So I think that in many ways, many Democrats want the economic stimulus economic stimulus plan to be bigger and to favor more working class, lower income working Americans and um, Obama's not quite able to get the necessary uh, if he goes that direction he's not going to be able to get the necessary votes I think from the other side that he wants to have a bipartisan plan and so I, and I think he's being criticized on the left for being almost too accommodating, too accommodating of people on the right even though he hasn't received any votes from the House Republicans, even though he has taken on these tax cuts. 
Sure. Um, you mentioned um, his foreign policy. Do you, I know when he was campaigning, he talked about the United States needs like a negotiator and a moderator on foreign policy. Do you think that he's going to defer to United Nations in future foreign policy initiatives or go it alone the way we have for the last however many years? The question is whether Obama is going to do more of a diplomatic approach using some of the uh, global institutions like the United Nations or go it alone unilaterally like we've seen more under the Bush administration. Uh, I think it's definitely more of the former. Uh, I think that uh, Obama has already reached out to European allies. Um, and, uh, you know, the closing of Guantanamo Bay uh, right off the bat was something to reach out to many of our European allies. And I think that, you know, I mean, there's just not enough resources to go around within the United States to solve all these global conflicts. The United States is going to have to rely upon some of their partners and not only Europe, but uh, members of the United Nations to help. Uh, share the burdens, some of the costs of uh, these conflicts. So I think there's going to be more cooperation. The gentleman right here in the black, right here. Um, I was wondering what, about Obama's plan to get the wiretapping laws, and also with the fiscal policy of the bailout plans, and basically a lot of profit sharing is actually leading us to socialist and Marxist society. And if, how long do you think the energy of hope and energy can actually last in the United States to keep people interested in politics? Repeat that one more time, please. The first part. Which the, the, first the first part. So you're asking is our economy becoming more socialist and more Marxist? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's more Kevin, we are looking to you for the response. Well, you raise a couple of good points here. Uh, I'll address, uh, I guess, the the first one with the bailouts. I mean, certainly, it's fair to say that um, you know there's a saying about how we. Uh, we're, we're capitalists when people succeed, when these business owners and uh, those at the top are succeeding, they keep their profits, but, but then when they run into problems that it turns into the government picking up uh, the tab for them. So I guess in that sense, um, you, can, you can say there's, I don't know about socialists, but certainly the government's picking up uh, uh, a large share of uh, these losses, and um, that's definitely far from a free market system. That's, that's very true. Uh, the wiretapping, which reminds me of yet another criticism from the left, that he voting for some of these measures regarding wiretapping, um, certainly not something that would be regarded as socialist or Marxist, uh, but something that's similar to uh, policies of the Bush administration. Again, taking away civil liberties of the people. Um, Obama sees this as a necessary uh, part of the war on terrorism to have all the ne- necessary information possible. Um, so... The second part of your question, though, was um, with this Obama's election, is that going to be something that is going to uh, keep us stimulated for some time? And one of the things that I think that we forgot, uh, we neglected to talk about is how he's sort of got the youth involved. You know, I've actually, I I see, you know, even at the college college level, um, I see a lot of college students now interested in politics, they're interested in what happened with this this past election. Obama has the youth energized, 
And that's a good thing because this is something we're trying to move forward. We're trying to make change. And you guys have new ideas and you have philosophy that is that is very important and it should be heard. And uh, Barack, his whole campaign was, you know, getting cam- getting contributions on the Internet and dealing with technology, something that you guys are probably better than, well, at least better than, than I. But um, And this is, this is a good thing. So I think he has energized the youth and that's something we want to go for. Let me get one more question, then we'll get back into some more of the panel questions. The gentleman in the uh, black coat. Uh, Amy or, or others, uh, President Obama is really a small minority within another minority. Uh, he moved into the White House with his mother-in-law and his two children and his wife. And uh, the idea of having a family defined like that in the black culture is a small percentage today. And I'm just wondering your thoughts on uh, how his his family structure might, for better or worse, uh, influence both the wider society and, and the black community. Well, I mean, I think it's certainly, I think it's certainly, a, it's a positive, uh, it's a positive role model family for for everyone, regardless of race. I mean, I, you know, actually, I I, I saw Bill Cosby on TV uh, probably about a week or two ago, and he was talking about uh, the cultural impact that some people thought that the Cosby Show had. That that every week on Thursday night at seven o'clock, I think I still remember. That's how much I used to watch that show. Um, was uh, this image of an African-American professional family. The father's a doctor, the mother's a lawyer. And the show wasn't, a, the show wasn't about them being black. The show was about this family, a tight-knit family with the problems that television families have, right? But it was the idea that every week, there they were in American households projecting uh, this image of uh, of a family that that might might have been counterintuitive to some people's uh, stereotypical assumptions. So I mean, we've got you know obviously this being real life, this is this could go a lot further than that. So I mean, I, it, you know, that's a heavy question. I would say that you know any type of positive image that's out there for us, not just for African Americans or for uh, or for white folks or for Hispanic people, for all people. It's a positive image to, to see that. And I would agree with um, what Ricky was saying. I think it's a positive model. I think it's also very affirming for African Americans. Um, Michelle Obama decided to have her mother you know, move into the White House to um, be part of the family and that matriarchal um, structure that's really key to to many African-American families, um, I think is is a strength for them. Um, And I think they use it to their advantage, I mean, use that that structure to their advantage in a lot of ways. And so I think having that model um, is very powerful for African-American families, for all families, particularly now when we have some economic downturn and some families are um, having to take in maybe parents or other relatives and seeing that that's kind of normalizing that kind of thing. I just think it, it is a wonderful thing to see uh, a family, um, Barack Obama and Michelle and their two daughters, 
the mother-in-law, wow. Um, but anyway, that's, <laughs> that's tough. But, uh, you know, I, I think um, it's a good thing. But the, and, and, and Ricky brought up the, the Cosby show. And, you know, some people couldn't relate to the Cosby show. Some African-Americans couldn't relate to the Cosby show. That wasn't reality. You know, that was something, oh, that's great. It's fun. Uh, I actually um, know, actually, my wife's aunt didn't didn't like the Cosby show at all because she thought it was fake. You know, that's not real. And, you know, my question is uh, how many can really relate? They may look at it and they see it as, wow, it's a beautiful African-American couple who happen to be the most powerful couple in the world, and that's that's a good thing, but that's not my reality. You know, and that's something that you've got to... Um, is, is it really, really going to resonate with with this our society today, African Americans, and and the, the hope for family in our society today? Uh, also, I talked about this in the past too about um, the advantages of having two parents in the household. Household, and some uh, of those that were in the audience were kind of thinking that you know, hey, you know, I'm not okay because I was raised by my mother and my father was not there. And it wasn't even a reflection of that. It was it was a reflection of the idea that there are just advantages that you have having a mother and a father there for the children. And having that structure and having some balance is tends to be a, a positive thing. And you are at a disadvantage. Doesn't mean that you're a bad person, doesn't mean that you are not going to be successful. It just puts some disadvantages uh there for you in a single parent household. And so but this is the reality. I mean, we've been tricked and we've been, we've been led astray into believing that that is the ideal family structure. We have different types of families, and it's fine, and your family is probably strong. You have love and so forth. But, man, the advantage that you have having two parents in that household is just takes you to another level and gives you different, a different perspective on life, and it affects how you deal with your own relationship when you decide to, to, to be with the, your significant other. And having Barack Obama there is, is a positive sign, but can black America really, really connect with that for themselves in reality? I don't know. That's, that's a question for me. Yeah. Yeah, I was just actually going to comment. This might be a little kind of different take on it, but um, you know, it seems like in this country, when you get to be of a certain age, you're kind of put out to pasture. Um, there's been a breakdown of the family structure in general, and that, and especially for um, elderly people, uh, we don't tend to put the value on having um, an older influence in our lives that perhaps other cultures do. Um, and maybe that's different in, in, in immigrant cultures, but that is, it, it seems that, that the longer that the, that, uh, that generations remain here, that seems to break down. And so I think it, also having having uh, Barack Obama's mother-in-law there is great. And that also sends a very positive message that you've got to keep that family structure tight and close. And what a wonderful influence a grandmother or grandfather can have on on the family. So I, I, I actually, that's my favorite part of it. I love that they have, the, that the mom is there too. So, Grandma. Getting back to uh, some more of the panel questions. Uh, Barack Obama is the first African-American uh, president, we talked about Michael Steele being the first black chairman of the, of the Republican National Committee uh, named last week. 
I guess for the panel, does this open the door for a slew of the next first, whether it be the first woman, the first Asian American, the first Latino, or is this Haley's Comet once in a lifetime, once a generational event? Yeah, I think this can't help but open up the door to others. Um, you're already seeing that. Um, and obviously, of course, when you're the first, you've got intense pressure on you as a result of being the first. Um, if you've been following the news, um, I think it was in Portland, Oregon, they elected um, uh, their first openly gay mayor. And he's been under, under tremendous pressure. A scandal came out shortly after him, him, him taking office. And, and I don't know if he's had to resign yet, but um, there's a, a lot of pressure when you're the first one. But there's no question in my mind that if that um, Barack Obama's presidency opens up the door and just makes, makes that, that, opens up that possibility to others, whether it's for women, whether it's for um, homosexuals, no matter who it is, um, it makes that, that, that door is now open for other people too. I would agree. I think that the the openness to change that that we feel now is something different um, since Obama's election. I think that uh, it gives people who may not have otherwise thought that they had the potential to do certain things um, gives them a new a new set of of eyes looking at things. Um, I know for me personally, uh, my own children who are biracial, and one of the things that we talked about, um, it was a really interesting and profound comment. I said, you know, I think maybe I could be president now. And I thought, that's sad, but at the same time, it's very profound that that was something that this was now a possibility for him. And so I think the possibility, uh, or possibilities are now open to people who may not have otherwise thought that they had that option. Yeah, I think absolutely we're at a point where uh, a lot of doors are open. And I think it's, I think it's also important to note that it, were it not for the presence of Barack Obama on the planet Earth, the president probably right now would be a woman, Hillary Clinton. You know, she was essentially the runner-up because the way that this election cycle was playing itself out, the winner of the Democratic primary was uh, most likely going to be the winner of the, of the general election. So uh, I think that this uh, 2008 proved beyond any doubt that I had that, that uh, a female president is n not only a legitimate possibility, but it's a probability within uh, our lifetimes. Um, with regard to uh, Obama's race and what that means to be the first black president, um, you know, race, sociology will refer to race, particularly minority racial status, as a master status, meaning that it's one of those things that is immediately identifiable, that's seen as important uh, to who you are by other people. So, you know, Obama is going to be viewed as the black president by a lot of people. So whether he does a good job, whether he does a bad job, there are going to be some people that are going to, uh, in their minds, perceive that his race is somehow in, uh, important to that in a way that we have not seen with our previous presidents. I happen to think that George W. Bush was a, a historically terrible president, but race never played into that at all because, well, you know, he was just like the other 42 that came before him. Okay? It was not because he was a man. It was not because he was white. It was just because I happen to think that particular guy was a bad president. Same thing with presidents that I thought were good. I didn't give them bonus points, but, oh, well, he was only good because he was a white male, right? Because, I mean, they all fit this. They were all typecast the same way. So I do think that, you know, the selective perception that some people are going to have 
based on race is going to be a, an interesting subtext of the Obama presidency. I actually think, you know, if we get down the road, I'm rooting for this presidency because, you know, first of all, we should root for any president that we have, right? You know, whether it's uh, whether you're ideologically with them or against them, we should root for all of our presidents because, you know, if they do well, that's in all of our best interests. But one of the reasons that I'm particularly rooting for Obama is if, you know, eight years out from now, we're in a situation where he's not seen so much as the first black president. He's just seen as Barack Obama, who was the 44th president, who was a good president. You know, the less that, uh, and it's terribly important that the idea that he is our first black president. We don't want to lose sight of that. But on the other hand, if eight years from now people are uh, uh, remembering him more for what he did, the good things that he accomplished, rather than for a superficial physical characteristic over which he has no control, I think we'll be much better off as a country. Well said. Um, I also want to uh, agree that uh, uh, Barack Obama is a... um, is someone that is going to uh, open up the doors for others as well. Uh, because here, here's the deal. I've had um, my great aunt said that Barack Obama couldn't win. Uh, one of my colleagues here at this, at this college said Barack Obama could not win. Uh, I've heard a number of people say that it was never going to happen, that America would never, ever elect an African-American as president. And that has happened. So that has changed the mindset to some people that say that, hey, wait a minute, he, it wasn't just African Americans that voted for Barack Obama. There were a variety of people who voted for Barack Obama. So that in itself, is, is, it changed the mindset. It allows people to think that, hey, this can happen. This is a possibility that can happen again. It's not a possibility anymore. It's a reality. And, uh, but one thing I don't want to lose sight of is that some doors are open even before Barack Obama got there. And, and that's some things, you know, Jesse Jackson ran in 84 that opened some minds up. We had governors, um, Wilder and uh, some other governors, I can't think of the names now, that ran Harold Washington. I remember when Harold Washington first ran for mayor of Chicago, there were, there were African-Americans that said that they would not vote for him because he wouldn't know what to do. You know, he could not do a good job as mayor. And when he became mayor, that opened some doors as well and changed some mindsets to allow for Barack Obama to do some of the things that, he's, that he hopefully uh, is going to do in these next four to eight years. Uh, just to slightly de- disagree with what Ricky was saying earlier, I think that he may be uh, rightfully viewed as uh, clearly the first uh, black president. Um, but he didn't run as a black candidate, uh, and he ran a very different campaign. I mean, uh, keep in mind, many people um, uh, forget that during the initial part of the primary, he was not um, necessarily accepted in the black community among some of the black leaders. Um, he was not viewed somebody who was uh, affiliated or that had um, worked hard in the civil rights movement. Um, and he... And, and some of the issues he was criticized for for referring to Hurricane Katrina as government incompetency rather than uh, you know racism on on behalf of the Bush administration. Um, he referred to the Gina Six situation as a, an injustice, and again, it's not using the overt racial terms and. And in many ways, I think it's clear to me that he won because he was the most qualified. He was, you know, in King's turn, judge on the content of his character. And I think that um, what is so moving for me is, I, does it open up doors for, for other firsts? I think it does, and I hope it's simply because of uh, merit 
that they happen to be the best person for the job. Um, and I think it's unique too that he was one of the first presidents that I know of with you know student loans, um, family, single parent head of family, uh, government assistance at one time. And sometimes you look at the lineage of our previous presidents, and they're all from the same background. Not only are they white males, but they tend to come from really well-to-do backgrounds. And I think um, that also opens the door for, for other firsts and people from um, less well-to-do backgrounds. Hey, stay in school, uh, do well. And uh, kind of to answer, I think, Bill's point from earlier, he has mentioned several times um, when in some of these interviews, hey, yeah, I'm uh, you know going home early. I gotta have dinner with the family, read to Sasha and Malia, and you know he talks about his own parental responsibilities and um, that that we uh, that we all should have. I kind of agree with uh, both uh, Kevin and Rick. I think they're both right in the, in the same way. Um, Barack Obama didn't run as a as an African American. Uh, candidate, uh, but he was still viewed as one. So, I mean, you still, I mean, even those who are trying to look past color, you still recognize that he's African American. My, actually, another one of my colleagues said, why is he considered the first black president when his uh, mother was white? You know, um, the, the reality of the, of the situation is we see him as the first black president. And, uh, and I think what Ricky was saying, correct me if I'm wrong, let me put words in your mouth, that you're hoping that after eight years that we won't see it that way um, after he takes care of the country and get us back on track, that he would just be seen as a great president and not as a, as a black president. Uh, and that's how Barack Obama would like it to. And, and I think some, some African Americans are going to get frustrated with some of the things that he does because he is really, really not running as... He's, he's not a black president. He sees himself as the president for all people. So uh, that's, that's, I agree with both you guys actually at the same time. Yeah, I think that he, I think he tried his very best to run a campaign to, so that race would not be an issue. But I think that we found that if you're going to run for president as a black man in America, even in 2008, race is going to be somewhat of an issue. And in the historic speech that he gave in Philadelphia, I believe, I don't think that's a speech that ideally he would have liked to have given as, as eloquent and terrific as the speech, historic as the speech ultimately is probably going to be seen in our society. That's a speech that I think his, his hand was forced somewhat. He had to address race to uh, at least answer the questions that a certain percentage of the American public had. And I think as a political move, he felt that he was going to have to address it directly. Yeah. But once he addressed it, that was... He, you know, he, he's shied away from that ever since then, which I guess would indicate again um, that he's not, it doesn't necessarily want to be seen as just the first black president, but as, as president of all Americans. Um, but that speech is going to be one that's going to be in the history books, because that was, that, that, that speech I think only could have been written uh, by a man like Barack Obama, who um, comes from so many different backgrounds, who represents um, uh, you know, his father being Kenyan from Africa and his mother being a, a white American. Um, I think only he in this particular point in time could have given that speech and gotten away with it. Um, had that speech been given by someone like Jesse Jackson or someone from an earlier time, I think per perhaps Americans would not have been, most Americans would not have been prepared for that. But he just seems to have come along as sort of the right place at the right, at the right time. Okay. We're going to go ahead and wrap up with about two more questions. We're going to give the audience 
Definitely, guys. Well, you guys with your hands up will definitely give you guys a chance to answer. It's been a very, very good and productive discussion today. So, my final question um, for the panel, and then we'll go to the audience, is obviously it's an historical event, first African American president. But eventually, but will he be judged on the results of his presidency, or does, by nature of him being the first African American president? Do we already speak of him in historical terms with the likes of MLK, FDR, Lincoln, etc.? Or do we, or that, or that final judgment be reserved to after 2012 or 2016? Well, in the short term, I'm sorry, did I cut something off? Don't go ahead. Okay. In the short term, in the history books, I mean, it is going to say, it'll start off, you know, the, the few paragraphs that they're going to give him. If you take an American history survey text, they're going to say, you know, this, the historic nature of this presidency. Um, being the, the first African-American president elected. And after that, they're going to go into what he did. I mean, what was his term like? What did he accomplish? Uh, what were, if there were any scandals, which hopefully there won't be, those are the things that are going to be in the history books, at least, uh, judging Barack Obama. And I think in terms of being the first black president, it's just going to be, you know, that first line. First African-American president elected, and then from there, what did he actually accomplish? At least from a historical point of view. Yeah, I largely agree with Mary. Um, he's already historic. No matter what happens, just the fact that he is the first president of color is historic. But I think the greater, more significant history is going to be the legacy that he leaves behind based on his policy decisions and based on the job that he does in the office of president of the United States. So I think that in many ways, even though he's already a historic figure and probably... You know, it probably has more history under his belt as a, a person who's been the president for, you know, what, two weeks uh, than any other president would have had at that, at, the, at that point in time. I think, obviously, it's not the first two weeks. It's the next, uh, you know, if he goes two uh, terms, the next 400 or so weeks that are going to ultimately tell us uh, uh, how history is going to uh, view him. And that's the way that it should be. It sh it, his, his true historical legacy should be uh, what he does for the American people. We had I want to make sure that we distinguish the difference between idealism and realism. Um, for me, and, and I hope it doesn't come across as, as pessimistic, but you know, I, I look at some of the Supreme Court justices. I mean, um, justices that we've had, are they judged on their merits, or are they judged on uh, being the Thurgood um, Marshall judge on his merits? Is he judged as the first black? Uh, or African American on the Supreme Court. Uh, some of the governors that we've had in this country, are they judged on what they've done, or do we just know them as the first African American governor in that particular state? Um, those are the things that I look at, and I may be wrong on that, but I just see that they're judged on the color of their skin. Now, hopefully Ricky is right that maybe with uh, Barack Obama being in the highest position that uh, we can get past some of this, but at this point, I, I, I don't see that. I think he's going to be judged as the first African-American president. I think that's going to be a major part of, of who he, his legacy. Now, his policies are going to be a part of it, but I think that we're not going to be able to get past that. Is that pessimistic? I don't know. Maybe you guys can straighten me out. Well, surveys had showed, uh, I think in November of 2008, 82% of Americans were uh, 
not positive about the direction of America, unhappy with the direction America was headed. And some of our greatest presidents of all time, the ones uh, that historians regard as the greatest, are the ones who presided over crises. It's clear we're in a major economic crisis. We've got a couple of wars going on, potential terrorist attacks in the future. I, I really hope he's judged on um, his policies and the progress that you know he campaigned on change. And in four years he'll be judged uh, how much change he enacted, and and in uh, another, you know, 2016, I I think that hopefully he'll be judged based on on how he did in those policy areas. All right, we're going to go ahead and go to audience question. There's a young man in the gray T-shirt, and then we're going to go to the gentleman in the all black over there for the second question. The, the, the gentleman's question was uh, Barack Obama's policy on dealing with some of the problems in the Middle East, such as Iran, uh, South America, Venezuela. And his follow-up question was um, hate, hate crimes being on the rise in America, and what does his presidency have, any, if any, have any impact on that? Well, yeah, I think the very opening question of uh, today's panel was what would be the short-term impact of race relations on the Obama administration? You're definitely right. There's been a rise. I didn't want to start with a, with a downer, but there's definitely been a rise of uh, hate group membership. A couple of white supremacist groups have had their websites crash due to a large number of uh, people uh, going to the websites. I don't know what he'll do specifically to address this, um, but to your latter question about, or to, I think it was your first question, uh, with Iran, that's exactly what I mean. I mean, we are in a historical time period here, and um, in the next four years it's clear that uh, Iran will either possess a nuclear weapon or they won't. And uh, part of that, rightly or wrongly, Obama will be judged. And so I think it's going to be very important uh, to see how he handles some of these major foreign policy areas like Afghanistan and Pakistan and uh, Iran. I think you, in, in addressing at least Iran, I think you can, you can see the potential for an op a more open dialogue. Um, and Obama certainly indicated that he would be open to low-level talks with Ahmadinejad's uh, government. Um, already Ahmadinejad, though, in typical style, has come out and said, though, we want you to apologize for the past U.S. crimes to Iran, which, to be fair, there is some legitimacy. There's, there, there definitely there's a history there. Um, but uh, I, I definitely, despite his, his rhetoric, I think that you'll still see, you'll see, see some, some open-level talks with them, low-level talks, which will, I think, perhaps have, have the, um, hopefully, potential to reach on a higher level. And perhaps we can actually have a normalized relationship with a country that we haven't had in 30 years. Iran, right now, is uh, celebrating the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Shah um, and the takeover of the Ayatollah Khomeini. So it would be great to see um, a better relationship established with Iran. Now, regarding Venezuela, um, I think with people like uh, Hugo Chavez and, and even Fidel Castro, I think that you can also expect to see perhaps more open dialogue with them and perhaps maybe moving us on the road towards a more normalized relationship with, with Cuba a country that's 90 miles off the coast of Florida that we also haven't had a relationship with in, since, uh, since 1960. So um, I think that his presidency, just by the very fact that he represents a generational shift, he's, not a, he's the first president who's not a baby boomer, um, I think you might actually see some, uh, a better relationship with those countries.
question. Um, my question is, do you feel that the issue that happened between him and, and Pastor Jeremiah Wright will that affect his decision-making as far as the other, um, other things that might happen in our country? Young man's question was um, going back to the the controversy between uh, Obama and Reverend Jeremiah Wright. Um, how that may have either affected his campaign. Can you be more specific, maybe? Yeah. Can you be more? Really, what I was asked was, do you feel the issue of him turning his back on Jeremiah Wright will affect the decision making when things get out of pocket in America? With regards to like race relations, I mean, with, with Obama and African Americans, or I'm looking more at just in period. Because some people in my neighborhood, some people will say that he disregarded what um, Jeremiah was trying to preach to everyone else. So most people will probably say that he's not going to follow. He's going to let everybody else answer through for him instead of doing it himself. Do you feel like he's going to let everybody else influence his decision making when it comes down to doing it for America? I think that he really has a. I, I understood why Barack Obama uh, did what he did uh, with Jeremiah Wright. Uh, I think Jeremiah Wright was very misunderstood, and a lot of people did not understand his message. But America is not ready for that right now. Barack Obama as president, he had to kind of distance himself from Jeremiah Wright because, you know, like you said, there are a lot of people who are upset that Barack Obama is president, period. And the last thing he needed was those that were on the fence to see him as um, uh, having hate speech or, or hate ideas uh, in his spirit and his soul. Uh, I think that... Um, and some people are going to judge him for him uh, for disconnecting from Jeremiah Wright. Uh, they are, and they're never going to forget that because he already has some questions, uh, as Kevin pointed out, in the black community from the beginning is whether he is really, really an advocate for the, the issues and the, the, the stresses that black America has to deal with. So when he broke up from Jeremiah Wright, who's a very powerful man in the community, and somebody that was loved and respected and not seen as someone as a, as a, as a hate monger, but someone who was actually trying to speak up for issues in black America, uh, people were offended by Barack Obama not doing that. But I don't think he would have been president if he, didn't, if he did not try to take a, a, a more world view. And uh, I don't know, you're in political science. You, may <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I wish I knew more about the, uh, you know, the situation that you're referring to. But, you know, I think that Obama uh, is loyal to the people around him and the people giving him advice, uh, the people close to him, until they become a distraction. Now, you addressed the uh, Jeremiah Wright situation, but I think even recently we've had cases of, Unfortunately, people, uh, Obama wanted to have a part of his administration not paying taxes. And initially, he was going to stand by them, go to bat for them. And they probably could have received Senate confirmation. But in the end, um, it became too big of a distraction. I think once you're, part of the, you're becoming a, more of a problem than part of the solution, then I think he's going to, to move on because, uh, again, the crises we face are just too much. Gentlemen here with this concern. This is Black History Month. Uh, until now, a lot of black history we learned about was dominated by the civil rights movement or slavery. Now we have President Barack Obama. 
has he become the event, the, the biggest event in black history, or is he a culmination of years of progress? That's there before. He of years of, of progress. Um, Barack Obama is the civil rights movement. He's, he's, he's what came out of that. Um, and, you know, he's reaping the benefits of some things that people have done before him. Now, he is now the one that uh, has uh, come to the public eye, and he's going to influence others. So it's a continuation. And, um, he, and actually, this gentleman's question back here um, you were talking about whether he, you know, dealing with Iran and, and, and hate crime and hate groups and so forth. He is the perfect person. His persona is so perfect to deal with that. I mean, he has such a level-headed approach uh, to dealing with those kind of issues. And uh, I really think he's going to make a lot of um, great strides, and not just because he's an African-American president. And uh, But he would have never been in the position that he's in now if it wasn't for the hard work. Um, not just the big names like, you know, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and so forth, but there were a lot of people, a lot of grassroots organizations that did a lot of things to help with employment, food drives and things of that nature to keep things going and to give people hope and a uh, positive attitude towards life. And all of that paved the way for Barack Obama to be able to take place as President of the United States. And I'd like to add real quickly. For me, the enduring image of election night is it's not it's not all the people out in in, in the park. It's not the speech that Obama gave, which was a, another great speech. But it was Jesse Jackson openly weeping when the camera. I don't know how many of you caught that that night on TV. And I was just thinking, you know, you know, for for Jesse, no matter what you think of Jesse, you know, he was there with King. He was there with King when he was assassinated. You know, he's come down all the roads you know for these decades and you know just to see the emotion on his face you know as he was seeing uh, Obama uh, give that speech for me that's the thing that I'll remember the most about that night my question kind of goes back to Gentleman's question was if we do begin troop withdrawal at any point, does that sort of give uh, our, our American enemies uh, decide to go ahead and commit another 9 11 type attack or any other terrorist attacks on some of our, uh, our allies? And go ahead. I think it. I think it has the potential to do so, and I think that with the decision to uh, formally close Guantanamo Bay within the next year and and change that policy of how we treat uh, terror suspects, enemy combatants, and the, the the decision to eventually pull down troops from Iraq, depending upon how that goes. Yes, I mean I know that there's many on the right who will hold him to that standard too. If there's an, another attack, um, if he's not successful, if if democracy spirals. Um, backwards in Iraq, any of those things. He is going to be judged based on these decisions. So he is, you know, we said earlier he's going to be judged on the left if he doesn't draw down troops quick enough. But um, if, um, you know, McCain was saying in the election, you know, don't snap uh, victory from the jaws of defeat or something like that. If he's viewed as, as, as changing 
policy right at a critical time period. And as I just said, they had a very successful election this past weekend. This could be uh, very damaging for him uh, with foreign policy. And, and you, uh, when you look at Iraq, you definitely, um, we, we mentioned Iran earlier, I mean, these are very connected issues. So I think if you, if you continue to see progress democratically, um, security-wise in Iraq, this is going to put more and more pressure on Iran. Um, so I think that's an important uh, test for Obama in his first four years. Um, another, thank you. another point I'd like to make is that this is actually kind of a positive thing. I think you were asking, will we, will we be more vulnerable to attack from, uh, I wouldn't necessarily be worried about nation states attacking us, but obviously from terrorist organizations. The great thing is that al-Qaeda right now does not know what to do with Barack Obama because the usual hate rhetoric that they used during the Bush administration just fed right into all their policies. And with the closing of Gitmo, they don't quite know how to, how to handle this. Um, and I also just heard a, a report yesterday, I think, that, um, that through the uses of, of strategic force that the CIA has been doing for the past year or so, roughly, they've really decimated the structure of al-Qaeda right now, where they're taking out not just like the number two guy, but the number two, the number three, the number four, the number five guy. Um, so right now they're at a pretty weakened state. So I think that if we can continue to, to use a combination of increased diplomacy, which costs a lot less than uh, defensive forces, along with forces here and there if, if they need to, need to be used, um, that will help us much more in the long term. I also think what scares me that things that we're not really concentrating on is the increase in tension between India and Pakistan, and uh, especially with, with the fact that, that um, you know, if we can't take our eyes off the prize and, and that Pakistani troops are being diverted to the border with India um, instead of going after um, Taliban insurgents, which are using Pakistan to be able to get into Afghanistan and wreak havoc there, uh, that could be more problematic for us in the future. So I think we just have to continue to be watchful and, and know that, you know, you can't, you can't go about, you can't stop going about your daily business waiting to be attacked. It, it might happen. We can't change our way of life. And I love that he said that in his inauguration speech. He said that, you know, we're not going to change who we are and change our ideals because of this. So I think if we, if we keep that, that, that connection and keep that steadfast attitude, I think that uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be okay. It's a good question. question was, um, will Barack Obama change some of his stance the, the, on China as far as human rights, uh, things of that nature that have been prevalent since the Nixon administration? So to your question, will, will he change his policies towards them, toward maybe taking a harder stance with regards to human rights? I'd have to say I don't think so. Um, he'd want to, ideally, but uh, China owns a lot of U.S. securities. And, uh, you know, you, you can't bite off the hand that feeds you, although, to be fair, their, their economy is also connected to ours. So would they necessarily do that? You know, Hillary Clinton gave a speech, um, 
in the late 90s about promoting um, better rights for women across the world, and she made reference to human, the human rights situation in China. And that was a pretty bold speech, and it was worried that with her giving that speech, would she be compromising U.S. policy towards China? Um, but I still think that, irregardless of that, I still think that Obama is going to have to be, be very, very careful. I don't think you'll hear him making those speeches. Maybe somebody lower level might say something, but I don't think you're going to hear it come from him. Uh, we just really can't afford to do that in this, in this day and age. If they were to, to, which, again, they wouldn't do this because our economies are intertwined. But, um, you know, you've got to, regardless of their bad human rights stance, which it is bad, um, you know, we're very friendly with them, and it's interesting that um, we're friendly with them and not with countries like Cuba, but um, our, our economies um, are much more intertwined than that, than that of Cuba, which we have no relationship with. Question? agree. I, I think you bring up a good point and one that um, I think is really important for us not to lose sight of is that although he is the first African American president, he's also uh, a biracial American and that we need to, to continue to have that discussion as well. That has that kind of been washed away and I believe part of it was because of uh, there were quite a few questions you know, is Barack Obama black enough? Is he really, you know, know what the struggle's about and that kind of thing? And once those kinds of questions came up, uh, he wanted to really affirm his allegiance to the black community. But if you read his autobiography, you'll see he was raised by his white grandparents for the most part for a good deal of his life. And a lot of the influences in his life came from um, the experiences that he had in his early childhood as with any of us. Um, so I think this is an important time to continue to have the discussion about multiracial people and how do they fit into the fabric of America and not to feel like we must, um, you know, the one drop rule is what it goes back to. You know, if we look back in historically, anybody with any um, African American ancestry was considered black. And it was really a, a racist ideology that uh, is the reason behind that. And so we continue to embrace that to some degree when we put people into one category or the other. So hopefully um, we will be able to look more at instead of either or uh, an and 
in both ideology that says, why can't we be both? You know, why do I have to choose between one or the other? Why can't people embrace both and be proud of both, as you said? Okay. We'll take one more question that will wrap it up. Young Mary? Yeah. Outsourcing, you mean like for more companies? More companies outsource? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. The question is uh, the effect of limiting of Obama's stance on limiting CEO bonuses and how that fits into the bigger picture of the economy and potential outsourcing of jobs. Well, I, I think that um, there's going to be some that are going to make that claim that by somehow limiting compensation, you could either um, potentially uh, create a market incentive for, for CEOs to locate elsewhere um, or to you know get into some legalese where you're changing, I guess, the status of your uh, company's operations. But I think some people are also going to claim it's going to um, – potentially not provide enough economic incentives for people to uh, work hard to try to become uh, the, the, the leaders of a corporation. Those are the arguments from, I think, that side. But I think right now there's just so much public sentiment that, um, you know, I think if this continues to go this way and there's continuing stories about, you know, well, I, I don't even know the thirty-six thousand dollar commode and and things like this, and and you know eighteen billion dollars in bonuses going out to people who were just losing uh, millions of of dollars. Then it, the public opinion has has definitely shifted on this, and people aren't really taking it anymore. And so I think something needed to be done. I think that's his idea that you know capping this at uh, what many people regard to still be a very reasonably affluent uh, you know high income. Of five hundred thousand dollars might stem some of that animosity brewing amongst the public. All right, we're going to go ahead. I'm going to let each panelist give about forty-five seconds to a minute on um, what the Obama presidency means to them. Um, I would like to thank our esteemed panel for their time and giving us food for thought moving forward. I would like to thank you, the audience, for your participation and some of your great questions. Um, let's keep the dialogue going outside these events. This is a chance for everyone to learn something and gain some, gain some perspective, not only on the historical significance of this event, but what it means to you as an individual. Um, so let's go ahead and start with Ricky and work our way down the line, and uh, thank you again. 45 seconds. Uh, okay, well, I can't do anything in 45 seconds. Um, I would say... Um, I don't think I've ever been prouder to be an American, personally. Um, I grew up in Kentucky, and uh, while racism isn't unique to Kentucky, and I don't want to portray uh, Kentucky stereotypically, I certainly saw some things when I was growing up uh, that um, reminded me on a regular basis that racism wasn't something that we left behind in Montgomery or Selma uh, in the 50s and 60s. So for me, it's very impactful to see the, this uh, the talented individual uh, uh, be elected on the basis of his character, as Kevin said, but also the fact that uh, 
he's a black man was not ultimately a disqualifier. So for me, I'm very optimistic about uh, the, the turn in our country's direction that his election signifies. My patriotism had taken a little bit of a battering over the last eight years. I'm looking forward to uh, uh, getting some of that back. I, I agree with, with what you said, Ricky. Um, although I grew up in uh, the south side of Chicago and saw a, a huge amount of racism um, a, as well. And so I think it's not unique to Kentucky. Um, I think it's not unique to the south, which the stereotype kind of we, we tend to hear. But um, it's definitely here as well. And so I think this was a um, just gave me hope. I think it um, made me feel like there was openness to change. I'm a bicultural person. Um, as I mentioned, my family is, is multiracial. And so I feel like that has given some degree of, um, it, that it's okay, that it's okay to be of more than one culture, that it's okay to be of more than one race. I think Obama, um, although he doesn't speak of it very frequently, I think it, it did give hope to people in the multiracial community. And so um, that's one thing that I've, I've drawn from that. Um, I was born in Athens, Greece, <laughs> and uh, I was raised by adopted biracial parents. And, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> hey, man, they sounded real smooth. Yeah. They, they had a background. I was, yeah, I was born in Minnesota. <laughs> born in Minnesota and born and raised on the south side of Chicago. That's not as exciting as what they were uh, talking about. But uh, the one thing I want to say is that, um, you know, I, I really like to look at the difference between idealism and realism. And, and sometimes I, I get labeled as pessimistic when I do that. And, and that is not, I'm a very optimistic person. People who know me know that I always look for the best and I, uh, and I, and I hope for the best. But I don't want uh, hope to, to leave people who are struggling behind. And that's always my concern. But Barack Obama is hope. He is hope. He is something that I think people from different cultures, different socioeconomic backgrounds, and so forth, can, and abroad as well, the whole world can look at Barack Obama as hope. And uh, I don't think that's a lot of pressure on Barack Obama as well, because if he doesn't uh, live up to some of these expectations uh, that, that people have for him, then, you know, people are going to be disappointed. And that's, that's a lot of pressure, man. I, I really have a lot of respect for him as a man uh, and as a leader. And uh, I just uh, I hope he can fulfill some of the things that uh, people expect out of him. So that's it. Um, what was a, a great moment for me was the, the night of the election. Uh, I was watching some coverage with my students the next day, and they were showing um, a cafe in Paris where they were waving American flags. And one of my students said, isn't it a sign of the apocalypse that the French are waving American flags? And uh, that to me just said it all that, um, you know, I'm, I'm again, a, a prouder American, like Ricky said um, today, than I was perhaps uh, last, last year. But um, I also consider myself a citizen of the world. And um, it's, uh, it's nice to see that by the nature of this election that we've kind of redefined ourselves um, as, as showing our, our willingness to once again lead and lead not just through our use of force but our more effective means of diplomacy and, uh, and goodwill and cooperation. So I'm, I'm, I leave this very optimistic um, about American relations with the rest of the world. 
I think more than anything to me, I feel like the, the brand of America has changed. The, the image, not only that the world has, I mean, it, the, the, the person leading our country's name is Barack Hussein Obama. Um, the, I think of a terrorist in a cave somewhere in Afghanistan thinking about the, the image of America and who their enemy is now. And not just what his name is or uh, what he symbolizes, but you know just the different changes that he's made. Closing Guantanamo Bay, uh, many people said Guantanamo Bay and Abu Ghraib were really um, great recruiting tools for Al Qaeda, and um, he's changing those policies. Um, and I think just domestically, what people have mentioned hope and inspiration and if you go back to his campaign rhetoric it's not about him it's about you and he's calling people to act in service and to be you know citizenship is more than just you know spending money it's helping your fellow citizens it's volunteering i think he's going to have a higher standard for citizens and in doing so that's how you actually enact change it's asking more of people to to participate in this democracy oftentimes these discussions tend to be what he going to do or what are they going to do but it's really about us and that's inspirational and that's hopeful for now and but going back to what Dellen says it you know his campaign mantra was change and uh, I'm scared because if there isn't change or if if uh, you know it's politics as usual and there's very little different in four years then um, I wonder where some of this enthusiasm especially among students is going to be as an instructor of political science on a personal note <laughs> Uh, I just want to thank Ronnie Anderson. He's the one who put this thing together. This was his idea. Uh, he's a cake. This guy is a genius, and uh, I don't want to thank him for doing that. So, Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Um, look for the other Black History Month flyers around campus. We look forward to seeing you all at some of the other events. Uh, have a good rest of your day. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.